0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year round discussion with these two. Here's JC and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C.
0: Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. Welcome all. It's another installment of J.C. and Morgan, uh, number 192, I believe, if you're scoring at home. He is J.C. Sherbert, 24-7 Sports. I am Mike Morgan. ESPN SEC Network and this fine podcast uh, brought to you each and every week by the fine folks at Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans for the very best in custom jeans. Uh, that was a nice uh, Christmas present uh, for both you and me, JC. We uh, will be looking our very best in twenty twenty three, no doubt about that. Uh, Michael Haney is out today. He's doing you know Michael Haney things, touring with uh, which oh Sister Hazel, right? He's with Sister Hazel, I believe. Yeah. Sister Hazel, Patrick Davis, he's a, a man of uh, many locales. So the the hot Haney five will be kind of internalized by uh, JC and me here through a number of different things. I always re- mention this this time of year, JC, but it's, it's worth repeating. Uh, we do this year round now. It's our sixth year. When we first started, it was only going to be a seasonal. And then we realized something that uh, is more true now than ever. In the day and age of the portal and uh, NIL and everything else, the portal basically code for free agency, which is what we're really living in. Uh, college football is a 12-month out-of-the-year sport, just like the NFL is, and and there there's just not a, a drop-off in our numbers and listenership throughout the year because now more than ever, you guys want your fix. And I will say the one thing I like about doing these in the offseason, JC, I don't know about you but I feel sometimes we are trying to cram so much stuff in that hour and 20 minutes, whatever. Um, sometimes we go long, but there's just so much stuff during the season that I don't get to everything that I want to get to. It's not a bad thing. I think we always, we, we kind of to use an old radio term, we play the hits, we get to what you folks want to hear about the most. And, um, and hopefully we do that justice but things slip through the cracks because we don't have enough time this time of year i feel like i can like downshift from fifth gear to like maybe third or fourth and you and i can we're we're going to hit on everything needs to be hit on uh each and every one of these podcast and before you know it it's going to be spring football and we just went through one recruiting cycle uh signing period that we'll get your thoughts on later on and we're already got news on coordinators and now we got a new commissioner that's going to have to be hired in the big 10 and so on and so forth but it, it it's a little less of a bottleneck for us to talk about what we want to talk about because there's not 50 games that just went on this past weekend
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, A little more topical and stuff like that. And it's, uh, you know, I enjoy breaking down the games as well as anybody. I think by the time August gets here, I'll certainly be ready for it. But uh, there's so much going on, especially, you know, with the December that we just had. The, the, The December in this sport this year, because the NCAA and all their genius decided to put the opening of the portal right smack dab in the middle of teams closing for signing day on high school and junior college recruits uh, and coaching change season and bowl practice uh, and everything else. I mean, signing day was four days before Christmas uh, this year. Uh, And uh, Greg Sankey's been talking about this in the media and behind the scenes. Hey, You know, we're killing coaches right now uh, with all that went on in December. So uh, it is nice to take a little bit of a breath, sit back, sort of maybe go back and look at some things we may have just not had time to discuss, uh, and then look at the big overall picture. So I, I, uh, I agree with you there. I think, um, I mean, for me personally, with all I do, it, it it was, it was the most overwhelming December I've had in my career and I don't cover 96 teams on a daily basis. Like (laughs) I used to, so I'm I'm thankful that I, I got out when I did. Right. But, uh, you know, I I think that, you know, as an old recruiting guy, you know, I, I'm, I used to be busy in January and the last few years I haven't. So I'm hoping if they do move signing day, they decide to move it more toward the traditional date than maybe, um, you know, back to August or whatever, like some of the discussions about. So I, uh, I I think that would give coaches kind of a chance to breathe, enjoy Christmas, enjoy the holidays, uh, in bowl practice, you know, things like that, uh, you know, uh, without the, uh, and there'll be more drama obviously in this month, but, uh, with the portal and everything else, I mean, man, it's just gotten, uh, the sport is, is crazy in the month of December.
0: Um, it's Um, yeah,
1: it's, it's very overloaded. So, but Hey, you know, it's January 12th. I'm glad to get back to kind of a nice, smooth JC and Morgan. Right.
0: Yeah, now we do have one more game to to analyze and the <laughs> the thing about it is it's not going to take long to analyze this. <laughs> all right, Georgia laid the smackdown on on TCU and it doesn't take away from the TCU storyline. Still a great story. Uh all the all the different narratives that, uh, well, the, the, we we should have done this that or the other to avoid this particular match of it. You can't go retroactively wait to the result of the game and then say, "Oh, well we should have this is why this would have been better and that would have been better. You weren't saying that when TCU knocked off Michigan, okay? You weren't saying that when TCU uh, had a magical regular season. Uh, sometimes this happens. We've had lopsided Super Bowls. We've had lopsided national championship games in the Final Four of college basketball. We've had sweeps in the World Series and the NBA Finals. Like, It's not always going to be a close game. We, we were treated to two incredibly entertaining semifinal games, and then we had – the most lopsided title game ever. And uh, that doesn't change the, the the mechanisms of this, that, or the other. If when we go to a 12-team playoff, this potentially could happen. Any system. You, we had blowouts in the old BCS. We had blowouts in the Bowl Coalition. We had blowouts in the Bowl Alliance. So please, let's not take it any further than that. Uh, TCU finally ran out of gas. Georgia knows how to win a couple of takeaways um from the game itself number 1 i said i'd be shocked if Brock Bowers didn't have more than four touches than he did in the semifinal game he certainly did that and he had uh, nearly 150 yards receiving and you know you could argue he was the best offensive weapon on the field as he often is when he competes and he's still got one more year of college football before he'll be a top 10 pick in the nfl and number 2 and i mentioned this on the the podcast Last time, right right after the semifinals, when again Stetson Bennett showed up when they needed to uh, on a needed them to on a championship drive, went five for five and just was surgical in in leading the Bulldogs over Ohio State, just like he was surgical in the national championship game the year before on the final drive where he was near perfect. This game, obviously, he didn't have the dramatics, but all he did was account for six touchdowns, which tied Joe Burrow's record. Why am I saying all that? And am I the champion of the Stetson Bennett fan club? No. In fact, I have a little Stetson Bennett fatigue. I'm I'm glad he's moving on. And to, I think he could be a backup quarterback in the NFL, have a nice career. If not, he's going to be very successful in whatever he does. Uh, I just, you know, JC, listening to this podcast, going back two years ago, the and again, I'm in Atlanta, so I hear this from a lot of Georgia fans who couldn't wait for him to lose the job. But in general, there was this whole lot of eh, Stetson Bennett. Eh, he's not this. He's not that. And I'm just like, but but what he is is a really good college quarterback. What more do you want? Um, And there were a couple of national writers, one in particular. I'm not going to go back into uh, the names doesn't mean that they're not a good reporter, but like this particular one actually posted right after the Heisman ballots came in. And uh, I've been a voter now, I think, 15 years. And I w- I don't mind telling you, Stetson was on my ballot. And her particular post was, well, those who put Stetson Bannett on the ballot. Uh, it takes more than just being the quarterback for the number one team to be worthy. And I was like, mm. what? You've been paying attention? Like, d- d- <laughs> guy has been... He's not a game manager. like This is not Gino Toretta of Miami in 90-whatever-that-was. This is a different deal. They won games it, at times because of Stetson Bennett. Is he surrounded by the most talent? Yes. So have Alabama quarterbacks that won the Heisman. Oklahoma quarterbacks were surrounded by immense talent when they won oh, yeah. Heisman trophies. Right? I mean, you can't. <laughs> so, Damn, anyway, yeah. I, I just thought it was the final coronation for those that wanted to continually take away from Stetson Bennett. uh, He validated every like there's nothing else to prove. Like That's it. Checkmate. Um, That same that same national writer, by the way, was on a show the other day saying Georgia needs to waive the uh, the rule that you have to be an All-American to be in the Georgia Hall of Fame. Yes, on that we agree. (laughs) Pretty sure he'll find his way to the Hall of Fame. That is for sure. Uh, the Georgia Hall of Fame, and if not the College Football Hall of Fame, but th- that that's that's all I really have. JC, the game itself was no game; it was it was a complete mauling from start to finish. Uh, and when you play a team that's, I know they lost a lot of guys to the NFL, but they had a lot of guys that were back, including Stetson Bennett, and they they were just not going to be denied in that game.
1: No, there's no doubt about it. And and look, yeah, that's a, that's one of the worst takes of all time because. Uh, you kind of can, you know. Look who Georgia had at receiver this year. Now, Brock Bowers is, a, is an elite tight end. Their their, their offensive coordinator Todd Monken's been in the zone now knows how to get Bennett to distribute the ball uh, quite well. But they had some injuries there early on in the year. You know, are they? Uh, they're not even close to Ohio State uh, when you look at their receiving core. Now it's going to change next year because they got Rob, Ra Thomas coming in from Mississippi state and Dominic Lovett from Missouri. So thanks transfer portal. <laughs> if you're a Georgia fan and you want to be better at receiver, but, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, sorry. So, right. so yeah, it, it's not just the quarterback of the best team. Right. But you could argue that there are deficiencies both years passing game wise and on the perimeter, uh, with his supporting cast. And, and, and so he went out and and like you said, did make a difference and did win games for them uh, because he could execute and because he was a hell of a player. So that was a terrible, terrible take, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, some guys just uh, end up being great stories in this sport, man. And uh, you know, Georgia, I think has got three, five-star quarterbacks behind him. (laughs) So one of those guys will start next year, but uh, you know, you mentioned Oklahoma and, and some of the great skill talent they had and all that and, and, and the Heismans they've had. And, and, look, people have to keep in mind, uh, and, and this is what pe- folks don't get, all right, so TCU, what what league did they win? As, as, mu- as competitive as it was and as fun as it was this year, Big Ten team, right? All right. Or, sorry, Big 12 team, right?
0: And technically they didn't win it. Right? yeah that, I'm
1: sorry yeah, I'm sorry yeah they're from that yeah, league they, but I know the, what you're the saying they were, they were the
0: best team year all year long yeah, and in got it yeah
1: Kansas State won it but uh in true big 12 fashion they gave up 110 points in two playoff games yeah <laughs> yeah um and look the same thing would have happened to Oklahoma uh if uh the, that game in the Rose Bowl in 17 against Georgia does not go Georgia's way and it almost didn't uh yeah I think Alabama would have probably, you know, cold cocked them a bit. You know, I don't know if it'd have been 65 to seven, but uh that that that's what happens. There's just a big difference uh in the physicality. And we said last week, Mike, and uh pat myself on the back. I, I thought, look, you know, TCU's speed on both sides of the ball gave Michigan problems. But the, the difference between Georgia and Michigan is Georgia's just as big, but they're a heck of a lot faster, faster and more athletic. Mm-hmm. And and that just overwhelmed uh the Horned Frogs. Great story. Uh, good to see them make it in. Uh, but uh, you know, someone uh that wrote for me before um Georgia played Georgia played South Carolina this year, he's breaking down the film for my GameCock website. Uh he, he compared uh Georgia's offensive defense to a death machine. <laughs> and I just kept thinking about that Monday night. This is a death machine because it's just how do you stop it? I mean, and they're yeah. just big and physical and you know they, they can finesse you, they can run over you. Um, and, and man, that's about recruiting. You got to hand it to Kirby Smart. Uh, there wasn't that much of a gap when he took over Georgia. There wasn't that far to go to get to the ceiling. Uh, that's I think the one of the most difficult things to do, especially in the SEC, Mike, because you know, you've got about nine, 10 programs that in any given year can have a typical Mark Richter, Georgia type year nine and four ten and three sometimes eleven and two. Uh, there, there are a lot of programs that can achieve that uh, in certain years uh, in, in the SEC, but there's not a lot that can go and knock off Alabama. I mean, you know, think about the teams that have knocked Bama off while they've been on this run. You know, you're talking about 2019 LSU, uh, 2010 Auburn. You know, some of the best teams in the history of those great programs. Um, so it, I felt like it was going to take some work and I, that go that extra final inch, so to speak, uh, is tough. It's hard to do in the sport and, uh, Kirby did it and, and you got to give him and his entire staff, uh, a lot of credit, uh, for how they've recruited and how this year, uh, they, they kept the focus and repeated, um, you know, when you talk about like Clemson, You heard that old term Clemson Clemsoning. Well, there used to be a Georgia, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, Georgia, Georgia to have these seasons where you're like, man, seven and six. What, what, and you you know, they walk on the field and they are like monsters, and you're like, how is this team seven and six? Um, and that happened, they had bad luck. There's a reason there was there 40 years, uh, between national championships, then they couldn't get past Alabama. So keep, you know, they whittled away, whittled away, whittled away and then broke through last year in the title game. And it doesn't look like, uh, you know, in, in true bulldog fashion, when a dog gets a hold of a bone or something, like it's hard to get it out of his jaws, right? And so uh, uh, I respect the job Kirby did this year, uh, almost if not more as much as last year, because as hard as it is to do to have that breakthrough season and, and finally get the Bama thing off your back and all that, it's even harder to turn around the next season and go undefeated and and kick just about everybody's butt on the schedule. So uh, hats off to them. Uh, I I think as a program, they're not going anywhere. Um, Will they be as dominant next season? Who knows? I know their schedule is very, very favorable uh, to make another run uh, run at a three-peat, but uh, uh, you just got to say credit to Kirby smart, who I think really has grown as a head coach since 2016 Uh, He's saying all the right things. He's making the right moves. He has a great staff in place. Uh, They didn't finish first in recruiting, but they finished second. Um, And they keep stacking talent on top of talent. I was wrong uh, because I kind of questioned their recruiting plan. I was like, well, you know, when you have that much talent in the state of Georgia and then you go out and you start signing guys from all over, you know, and then these kids from Georgia go elsewhere, they they can beat you. And that happened under Rick a lot well where, where he would lose a kid they didn't want to Auburn or South Carolina or Florida or whoever and then they come back to come back to haunt him. Um that's not happening now. Uh they're getting the right guys out of Georgia and going national and being very selective uh just like Nick Saban does with the five-star group. go Kaylee Waringo from Arizona excellent player he's from Phoenix right uh Bowers is from Folsom California where the prison is Okay. Uh, or maybe Napa. I, I think Napa. I'm saying that. Right? I think I've said. Yeah, he's from a couple Napa. Times I'm wrong. Napa. Uh, that's not exactly a football hotbed. Right. Uh, no. Washington is from Las Vegas. I mean, they've got guys that they've gone out and been sort of national with while at the same time making strong evals in Georgia and also developing. I mean. You know, Stetson Bennett and Lad McConkie were, were two of their best players on offense this year. Uh, so they got a little Clemson in them, too, where, you know, unlike Alabama, where just about everybody's a four or five star, they've got some of these three star guys that have come out of nowhere. Uh, and that's a sign of a good program as well. So hats off to the Bulldogs. I have a lot of friends, dear, dear, dear friends, lifelong buddies of mine that, uh, you know, I, I kind of felt like they were going to win. I uh, had the pleasure of, of catching up with them on Monday and just saying, hey, you know, good luck. Love you guys, all that. And um happy for them uh, because a lot of them are long suffering and there have been plenty of Bulldogs that have gone to their grave between 1980 and 2021 uh, that didn't think it was going to happen again. And doggone it now it's happened twice in a row.
0: Yeah, I mean we've had uh, Jeff Dantzler on here, longtime radio personality uh, in, at at Georgia and broadcaster, and um, I've known him for over twenty years, going back to my first job in Columbus, Georgia, and covering uh, that team among others. And Chuck Dowdle, who was a legendary at broadcaster here in Atlanta, who I worked with for the Braves and he did sideline for them before he gave that post up to DJ Shockley and, you know, talking with both those guys this week. I mean, they're just, they're on cloud nine. And I mean, you know, Chuck is, gosh, he's got to be close to 70. So he goes back, he's seen it all going back to the Dooley days. And you mentioned that 40 year drought and, you know, I mean, part of that was self-inflicted. I, I I'm not trying to be a, uh, ugly here but ray golf was not a good football coach he just wasn't Mm -hmm. and and, but he was an alum and he played quarterback there and so on and so forth and um you know it's like spurrier used to say well they keep coming up with these great recruiting classes we keep beating them by 30 like that was the story of much of the 90s like georgia got talent and several players went on to the nfl but they couldn't get over the hump and then mark rick mark rick did a lot of good things um and first off, he's a great man, and I'm glad to see he's in better health now, uh, to my knowledge. But it, Mark couldn't get over that other hump. You know, and Mark was a very successful coach and should be remembered as such. But it was that next level that, for whatever reason, wasn't going to happen. And, you know, it's kind of funny how things work. You and I could easily be talking about Kirby Smart, the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, because that mm-hmm. was definitely uh, on the radar and Georgia uh, certainly knew that and they fire Mark Richt and before Kirby could could take a head coaching job anywhere else he went to Georgia Kirby did great work under Nick Saban in Alabama but more than that he 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 saw the secret sauce I mean he lived it he watched Nick Saban build Alabama from good to elite and that's what Kirby has done at Georgia, and I'll I'll go back. This I'll, I'll uh, normally I do this later on, but I'll just I'll do an abbreviated deep dive on Kirby, right? So I mean, I remember Kirby as a player, as a defensive back on on some of those Georgia teams under Ray Gaw. Um Good, good, solid player, and like a lot of good coaches, not the most gifted athletic. And no, I'm not saying he wasn't athletic at all. Let's uh, shed some of the stereotypes here. Kirby Smart was athletic. I mean, he, he was athletic, but. He wasn't NFL athletic, right? But like a lot of those guys, they also have to to really study the game in order to be a player at the SEC level because they're not blessed with four three speed. And so Kirby right away was destined to be in coaching. I'm pretty sure his father uh, was in coaching as well. And he he works his way up. He was in a graduate assistant o two o three under Bobby Bowden at Florida State. Not a bad guy to to, to learn things for. And then spent one season. As a defensive backs coach uh, under Nick Saban <clears throat> under at, at LSU back in 2004, then he goes to Georgia as the running backs coach in 2005. Then he had one season in the NFL under Saban uh, at Miami, and at that point he's coaching safety. So he follows Saban to Alabama in 07, and you know what they did there when he took the Georgia job. This is this is one of the things I wanted to to point out because. I think a lot of people, if you didn't know any better, just assumed it was always like this, like, but, but his first year, they're eight and five, they're four and four in the sec. If I'm not mistaken, there might've been a loss to Vanderbilt in that uh, equation. Uh, Now year two, boom, they're, they're 13 and, and two. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, okay, he's already got it going, but they lose the national championship game. Then they go 11 and three. They lose a Sugar Bowl game, and I can tell you, living in Atlanta during this time, and not everybody was Team Kirby around here. Uh, there, mm-hmm. there was some criticism, and there were some glaring mistakes that he made. Uh, the fake punt in the SEC championship game against Alabama was a real head scratcher. A lot of people thought he never he should have given the the reins from Jake Fromm to to Josh uh, uh, to Justin Fields. Fields. Justin yeah. Fields, excuse me. Uh, Josh Fields was a pitcher. Sometimes I cross up sports, uh, to Justin Fields, who's now a starting quarterback in the NFL. And "Ah, we, we blew it. We, we, we lost fields. He transferred. There was a lot of that. There's second and 26. And here's a guy who made his bones as a secondary guy. And they give up a touchdown on second and 26 to Devontae Smith to lose to Alabama. And there's, there, there was a feeling of, well, maybe Kirby's just not meant to get over that hump. Uh, the COVID year kind of a throwaway. They go eight and two, seven and two in conference. And then the last two years, 29 and one, 16 and 0 in the SEC. Uh, they did lose one of those SEC championship games, but for the most part, they have been infallible. Uh, and now it's like Kirby can, you know, he (laughs) can name his price when it comes to contracts, his, 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 uh, trying to think of the right word here he he has already cemented his name like he's going to be in the college football hall of fame i don't think there's a coach that won two national titles it's not um he's going to keep winning a ton of games you mentioned the recruiting side of it that's not going anywhere uh but it 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 was a gradual thing like this is a guy that you you find these success stories and almost all of them they pay their dues they 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 bounced around. They moved their families. They had adversity. They got ripped on talk shows. They got second guests. They made mistakes. Um, I would never say Kirby was on a legitimate hot seat, but but he was certainly at times in a situation where several Georgia fans are like, is this Mark Rick 2.0? Or yes, we won a lot of games, but we can't really get over the hump. So kudos to Kirby Smart, uh, who He can flat out coach now. He's not just a recruiter and he's a grinder. You mentioned how hard it is to repeat. And most coaches, forget about all the talent you lose to the NFL. And what was it? Five guys on that defense went first couple rounds in the NFL draft. Um, It's just keeping the focus and not being for the returners, not being fat and happy. And he was able to do that. So there's your deep dive on Kirby and congratulations to him. Congratulations to Georgia. I'm sure that made a lot of SEC fans sick to their stomach. It's like enough <laughs> of Georgia, just like it was enough of Alabama. And look, maybe we've got fresh blood coming in, JC. I mean, Tennessee is on the rise. South Carolina is on the rise. I think LSU under Coach Kelly is going to be a threat. Uh, we mentioned Bobby Petrino now at AM. We'll see how that affects the trajectory of that program Auburn making a significant hire with Hugh freeze you know, maybe there will be room for some more competition at the top, but we, how long, how long have we said this with rare exceptions like the Joe Burrow year, et cetera, we are living in a Georgia, Alabama world. And we have been for a while in the sec. And and I don't think, especially based on your recruiting insights uh, and we'll, take a deeper dive into that later i don't think that's going anywhere for the you're either going to catch up to them they're not falling alabama and georgia aren't going anywhere for the time being
1: yeah i'm with you i mean yeah just take it back to that first year you mentioned under kirby smart uh so they they had kind of a comeback win against north carolina in the opener in atlanta almost lost to nickel state at home survived missouri by a point so they start three of them Check this out. They got waxed at Ole Miss 45-14 by Hughes. Oh, I almost forgot about team. that. Yeah. Uh they ended up losing to Tennessee on the Josh Dobbs miracle play. Right, right, right. Lost to Vandy at home. Mm-hmm. Only scored 10 against Florida. And it, it lost to, to Mac Wayne down there. Uh survived Kentucky, survived Auburn, survived Louisiana, lost at home to Georgia Tech. I remember that. Yeah. yeah that did uh, not 20th. go over well. Yeah. And then they beat, actually, ironically, TCU in the Liberty Bowl. Uh, and then that next season, man, with, with a team that, uh, you know, again, had a true freshman quarterback for the second year in a row because Eason got hurt, um, kind of survived in advanced. You know, one-point game against Notre Dame that was close. Uh, they did have a favorable schedule that year because uh, Tennessee got way down, um, Florida was way down that year and fired their coach in 2017, Auburn was not all that great, but, uh, or I'll be sorry, Auburn was that great and whipped them pretty good, and then they came back and uh, and beat them in the championship game because Auburn had some injuries, so in that game against Oklahoma, that kind of got them started, but it's still, you know, I, I think the lesson here is in football it still does take time, no matter what you do first or second year and everybody's had like Sunny Dykes, for example, Uh, great first year. Right. But, but it's, it's going to take them. To, it, I don't think TCU is the arrived as the dominant team in the big 12 right now. Uh, you know, it's going to take time for them to get there. Just like it took time for a program as good. That was already kind of up there already at like Georgia it's going to take time. I mean, you know, there, there aren't a lot, uh, as, as, as much as this world and this sport wants to win right away and, uh, and all that, the volcano programs still take time to get going. You still got to have some rumblings and some shocks and some, some, some signs, uh, you know, even as quick as Tennessee's turned it with hype. I mean, how long did it take? How many coaches they have to go through before they did that? um, you know, and, and even at Georgia to get to that level, to get to that Alabama level uh, that we're talking about. And so, you know, I I, I think just hats off to them. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, when you, when you kind of look at how long it has taken Georgia to get there, um, you, you kind of almost respect a guy like Bob Stoops even more that, you know, took over a three and eight Oklahoma team from a disaster of a coach and John Blake and, Got with the Independence Bowl first year and the second year, won it all, and then stayed consistent at the top of his league. Uh, you, you, you almost, when, when you see kind of, you know, you, you look around, you like, well, well, yeah, Kirby's got him there, but it has taken him six years, as good as that program is, and as, uh, as, as good of a recruiter and as good of a plan as he had and all that. You almost start to respect a guy like that. I mean, you know, shoot, man. You look at the playoff this year, we're living in a world where, you know, Kirby Smart and Jim Harbaugh have both finally been to playoffs two years in a row. But, man, it took them there. And that's Georgia and Michigan. This game is hard. <laughs> it's very, very hard. Uh, and I think that uh, uh, I, I'm a fan of – still a fan of hard work. I think today in society maybe not a lot of folks are, but uh, that that's why those two teams made it, hard work. Jim Harbaugh grinding, not giving up, sticking to his plan, uh, and for right now at least, you know, and uh, Kirby tinkering and learning from his mistakes and growing as a coach and finally getting the right staff in there. And uh, and now they got it rolling. And uh, I think it was just a mas- – the, the, the approach he took this year was just a masterful job uh, because, you know, teams have breakthrough seasons like that, Mike, uh, it's hard to go back and win it again unless you're in Alabama uh, or like a Miami when they're on a the run, Southern Cal when they're on their mini run or whatever. So these days, for anybody other than Alabama to do it back to back like that, uh, I think is tremendous. So hats off to the dogs and uh, you know, like I said, next year uh, looking at their schedule, man. I mean, it's not because uh, they 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 had Oklahoma. But now that's off because Oklahoma's coming to the league, so they replaced them with Ball State. Um, so it's not a very tough non-conference at all. Uh, and then they have a favorable draw from the West. So uh, yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I think their record will be outstanding again next year, and I think they'll probably win the East and be in Atlanta, and it'll come down to that game again.
0: Yeah, I mean, who who is? It's like this year. Yeah, when we're filling out the 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 ballots or whatever, it's like okay, I, I know I'm going to put Georgia on top of the East. That's the easy part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, filling out two through six, um, I didn't, I had a hard time thinking Vanderbilt was wasn't going to finish seventh, but two through six, I that was going to be a head scratcher, and it was. There were a lot of surprises two through six. In the East that'll be the same thing next year, especially without Hendon Hooker. Um mm-hmm. no question. Georgia might be the closest thing to unanimous that we've had ever at, uh, at media days and mm-hmm. and Bama will be the prohibitive favorite uh, in the West. Although you'll have some, I'm sure you'll have a little LSU love out there and there'll be some guy in Bryan, Texas that votes for a and M um, and <laughs> you know, maybe some other surprise vote out there uh, uh, somewhere. But yeah, I, at the um, I'm glad you mentioned Lad McConkey, like, the game I had against Mississippi State, he went off. And I just remember like he was he wasn't recruited highly at all, right? I mean, he was just you got ben a walk on you. Yeah, three star guy. You got McConkie. You got Bowers. I remember Kirby telling me the story and how they got on him. I think there might have been a connection with somebody on the staff or the coach out there. But remember, like a lot of kids, he didn't play his senior year because of COVID. California mm-hmm. shut down high school football. Yeah. So so by the time he got to Athens I mean he was a relative unknown like that was not a recruit that all the magazine preseason magazines were like keep an eye out for Brock Bowers it was it wasn't like that at all so now d- defensively it's just a parade of four and five stars but I'll mention one of my favorite stats on this Georgia team and I don't know if we'll ever see this again in this era. Do you know how many How many guys on that active roster for Georgia that just won the Natty were out of the transfer portal?
1: Mm, Probably not many.
0: Zero. Wow. Somebody had tweeted out uh, they thought it was one, and our buddy Seth Emerson, who covers Georgia as well as anybody for the athletic, said, no, actually, the number is zero. Even Alabama. That's right,
1: because Eric Gilbert left again. So yeah,
0: Yep. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, you know, even uh, where would Alabama be without Jameer Gibbs from Georgia Tech this year? Like the best of the best are all getting into the portal. Uh, Southern Cal's success was based primarily on the portal. Ohio State and Michigan had portal guys. Georgia had zero. (laughs) I mean, so they are they did in this day and age, they did all that on their own recruits. Uh, that is almost unheard of. Um, I don't know if we will see that again out of a, another national championship team, but that was the case there. Uh, all right, so the games are in the books now. We got a whole lot of other things to get to, and let's let's knock them down uh, as uh, as quickly as we can. First off, um, the the news of today is that the Big Ten is looking for a new commissioner. So Delaney was there for thirty years. Uh, Kevin Warren didn't last 30 months. He's leaving for the Chicago bears job. And I know you being in Chicago, you know, uh, a whole lot of things about why they went after him and, and where the reason why Kevin Warren leaves, I don't know if it was a money thing or not as much. as I, I think Kevin's heart was always uh, in the NFL. It was a great opportunity to go to the big 10 and, you know, the legacy, everybody can look at it a different way. I'm going to remember him as the guy that gave up on college football during COVID. And if it wasn't for Greg Sankey, we wouldn't have had a season. So if everybody thought like Kevin Warren, we never would have played football in 2020 Um, other people will point to, yeah, but look at the great TV deal. He, he just did. Well, if you listen to people around that conference, they'll tell you uh, Delaney was still doing some magic behind the scenes. And there were some other people I'm not going to take away all credit from Kevin Warren. I'm just going to tell you, uh, that that deal for the Big Ten with Fox and NBC and everybody else would have been done with or without Kevin Warren. So I, I don't think Kevin Warren did a terrible job post Covid, but i don't I don't think the Big Ten is going to miss a beat whoever they wind up hiring. There are true difference makers. Well, there is one true difference maker in in college commissioner as uh, conference commissioners right now, and that's Greg Sankey. I mean, he's the de facto commissioner of the sport. He just doesn't have the power to, you know, wave a magic wand and poof, uh, get rid of the early signing period and poof, get guardrails on, on NIL and the portal. Like he can't do that, but everybody listens and looks at his direction when they want to know what's being done, what needs to be done. They don't, they don't look at Kevin Warren that way. They don't, they don't look at the, the last couple PAC 12 commissioners that way and, um, that you've got people that have a background in college athletics and have been on a campus. And then you have the people like Kevin Warren and remember the old PAC 12 commissioner had no background. And I thought that showed up during COVID. I thought that it, experience uh at times really was exploited this time around. I don't think they'll take a gamble. We might have the first situation, JC, where a conference poaches another conference commissioner. I mean, this, <laughs> this could be like the modern day portal Grab, you could go after Jim Phillips at the ACC, who a lot of people thought should have had that job the first time. I I don't know where they go, but that is certainly uh, significant news that uh, Kevin Warren, after again less than thirty months on the job, is going to the NFL.
1: Absolutely, and and here's why. And number one, I, I, I don't give Kevin Warren a whole lot of credit for uh, much. Uh, You know, I I don't think you could just ignore the fact that it was a pretty awesome TV deal that the league put together. And um, as far as poaching Southern cow and uh, UCLA from the pac 12, I, I think let that be a lesson to the pac 12 that, you know, at the end of the day, as much as the big 10 administratively wants to act like a paragon of virtue and nobility and rah, rah, let's go put on our sweater vest and win one for old state you. And, You know, "Ah, we got to go to class and, and, you know, all that. They're still a ruthless, lethal, power hungry conference that wants to dominate college football. And they've put a good plan together to do so. All right. Let that be a lesson, Pac 12. (laughs) Don't just follow them and go, oh, gosh, you know, uh, these presidents at Iowa and and Purdue are just like us out here on the West Coast. No, they're not. So, anyway. Uh, I don't think that had much to do with Kevin Warren. It's just the the hypocrisy that is the Big Ten on certain issues. So that's A. B. The guy did try to shut down the sport, and 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 that's for that because again, and I'm not sure it was him, or as much as maybe the arrogance, him not knowing how to push back against his presidents, or the arrogance, or the fear. Um, but you know, three of the five Power Five leagues were like. All right, you guys don't want to play. That's cool, and then they reverse course, right? Mm-hmm. And made made some reasons up, you know. Says so that's, that's B, uh, but 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 I've never thought he was some kind of revolutionary guy. I mean, you know, we, we've mentioned many times that the best college commissioners have college athletics backgrounds, uh, and he he was obviously NFL, Larry Scott, tennis, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, you know, as far as the Bears go, he, here's why. Number yeah. one. It's a good gig for him because, like you said, it's, if his heart's in the NFL, it's all good. Uh, go back there. Uh, he doesn't have to move because <laughs> hmm. the Big Ten's located in Chicago, uh, Rosemont to be exact. And so then the Bears were located, I think, in Lake Forest or someplace. like, hey, you don't even have to move. It's just a different commute, right? Uh, and then if you look at his history with the Minnesota Vikings, one thing he did do was guide them through their new stadium process in Minneapolis. Um, And that's something that's front and center for the Chicago bears right now, that franchise, um, you know, soldier field, they've played at soldier field since the twenties and thirties. Okay. And soldier field is part of a, and, and you called a game there earlier this year, Mike, it's part of a city parks district that's run by, Museum curator types. <laughs> they don't really <laughs> understand tailgating and stuff. So there's, it's just extremely difficult to get anything going with that stadium when they redid it the first time, they basically just, it's like they plopped a, a Tupperware bowl on top of uh, an ancient Greek building. You know, it almost looks like a, <laughs> like a set for the musical Godspell. Or, you, you know, for those that don't know, Godspell is kind of one of those, it's up. it's a musical, you do all the same songs, but you totally can interpret it however you want. You know, it's like the space age Greek Godspell. Thing. I mean, it's still co- I mean, not very many indoor areas. I mean, it, it sucks. Um and, and obviously the government in Chicago is beyond awful. Uh and so they um, you know, that they they have an old racetrack that, that shut down. Um and they uh they bought it or they're buying it. And they're going to build a nice dome stadium. And you guys ever know? Chicago never hosts a Super Bowl, and they don't host a Final Four because they don't have a they don't have a big facility to do it. You got places like Indianapolis and Minneapolis, and St. Louis, and places like that that are just a, a drive away from the nation's third largest city, and they get those events. Chicago does not, so it makes total sense. Uh, but it just like anything uh, in in Chicago, particularly Cook County and that area. Uh, as it's always been for a hundred something years, it's hard to navigate, right? (laughs) It's uh, it's not that easy. You know, you got the mayor threatening to bring the Jaguars in and call them the Chicago Jaguars and not let the bears use Chicago as their name. And I'm like, well, what's next? The orchard park bills or, you know, the Landover commanders or the, the East Rutherford jets and giants or the Englewood Rams. I mean, come on, man. I mean, this is pretty common. So you got that threat. You got the threat of the, the Jacksonville Jaguars moving to a revamped soldier field. I mean, uh, it, it's not going to be the easiest transition, even though clearly what's best for the Chicago land area is to get the dome built, start bidding on super bowls and final fours. It's a great sports town and you know, a, an obvious place to hold events like that in the winter when you have a dome facility. So uh, and, and not down there at the Parks District because it's – you saw it, Mike. It's not like it's this big, vast area where people can kind of cram in. So, uh, I, I think that that's probably why – and not to be long-winded, it's not an NFL podcast, but just kind of having lived here and followed that story uh, and then looking at his background. Because at first I was like, that guy's not a winner because I don't consider him to be a winner. I, I, and I think the Bears – have had a long line of people with don't have winning mindsets, but I, I don't necessarily even think that it's, he's trying to win with the actual football part of it. I, I think he's trying to win the stadium thing and he's certainly proven in that department. Uh, and I think that's what that franchise needs. Plus, you know, like I said, don't have to move and probably a lot less headaches in pro sports than college these days.
0: It'll be interesting to see what, uh, what direction they go in. Um, Again, there's two schools of thought it's the, well, we're in a different day and age. So that whole thing about how you used to hire guys that had experience working in a, in a conference office in a, in an, as an AD of a particular program, that's all ancient history. Now it's all about entertainment and and revenue producing. Well, I I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Like, I think you want a guy that has a history and a background uh, in a conference as an associate commissioner. And or someone who's been an athletic director who also has the savvy uh, of 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 maximizing revenues and look if if you're the commissioner of the SEC or the Big Ten, the the revenues are going to be coming to your door. So like whoever whoever becomes the next commissioner of the, of course the TV deal is already in the bank, but like the SEC and the Big Ten right now, I don't like saying it's the big two. Because it's kind of a slap in the face to the ACC, the Pac-12, the Big 12. And again, as you and I have said a number of times over the years on this podcast, uh, regardless of our SEC backgrounds and connections and what have you, I don't look at college football as let's dominate and destroy everybody else. That's not good for the sport. I don't want that. Um, I want to see the other leagues be successful and be competent. I want the the sport to be not just uh, dominating in one region of the country, but to have some geographical balance. I want all those things. But there's no question, if you just look at it in dollars and cents, the SEC and the Big Ten are so far ahead of the other three that it's hard to ignore the inherent advantage those leagues and those schools have. Now, it was not a great year for Big Ten football. It just wasn't. But Make no mistake about it. like They're not going to lose anything on a financial uh, basis, and certainly the SEC is not either. So uh, whoever gets the job will have one of the plum jobs in college athletics, or for that matter, athletics, period. That is for sure. Um, looking at the SEC spotlight for a second, J.C., it's that time of year coordinators hired and fired um, or moving and transfers. Uh, I know, uh, for example, some good news on the South Carolina front and that Spencer Rattler is coming back for another year. I think that's good news for him as he can enhance his his stock. Remember, he, as well as he finished, he did not start well. Uh, but but that is some good news. You know, the, the sweepstakes for Sam Hartman, a lot of people thought he might go to a particular uh, SEC school somewhere. He decides to go to Notre Dame. You've got Mississippi State now with a – new offensive coordinator. We talked about Petrino last week. Any of these news and uh, factoids stand out to you when it comes specifically uh, to the sec or even beyond that, for that matter?
1: Well, you know, I, I, I think that, uh interesting thing brewing at Florida just today, uh, uh, on NIL there and look, I, I, as, as someone that's always had a lot of respect for most Gator fans, um, some of the Gator message board fans have become just so toxic. <laughs> it, it, yeah, I used to love that fan base. And, uh,
0: they are just uh, all over Napier. Totally. Like, dude, Napier can it, do no right right now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, here, here's what happened. Um, and, and they should, uh, quite frankly, Napier should have known better. And, and coaches need to, to understand this. Don't be, be smart about how, how you're recruiting. These days, because all right, so Florida, they uh they got a kid named Jaden Rashada, and Jaden's from California, has no affinity for the University of Florida, probably no connection to that staff, that kind of thing, right? Um, and he's leading to Florida, and then all of a sudden Miami comes in and gives him an, a nine point five million dollar NIL deal, which he's not worth even seven figures, Um, you know, not Vince Young. He's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Justin Fields, uh, not Cam Newton out of JUCO. Probably not even going to start next year, you know, but not worth that. And he's one of these guys that has an agent. And and this agent literally has been front and center and and out there with it uh, that uh, Florida's collective and their NIL, they don't know what to do. Uh, and so they, they sent him to Miami, who's who's buying players, left and right. And you saw where that got them this year. Terrible. Um, but that one guy, Ruiz or whoever, throwing out all the money. Uh, so he ends up flipping back to Florida as uh, Miami gets worse and worse. Um, and now, I guess, the, the NIL agreement fell through, uh, or he didn't get all of it when he got to Florida. And so now he's back to he he was supposed to enroll and didn't, and is asking to get out of his national letter of intent, you know, based on some NIL deal, and and he's got a, an agent pushing him, and and I'm gonna say this, he's not worth it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, you 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 can go get a guy probably right now if you're willing to spend one million. You know, somebody that's much better, that's much more of a sure thing, will probably come to Florida and play quarterback for you. Um, And it's sad to me. I mean, there are certain kids whose development within the sport uh, is going to get sidelined because it's all about the money right now. Uh, And and if I were Billy Napier, the only thing I'd criticize him for is, yeah, the kid's a hell of a fit for his offense, right? Hell of a fit. But you don't go, you know, whereas you used to do everything you can to get players, you know, uh, if you're a coach, you got to get him, got to get him. This is a toxic situation. This is no good. And it's public too, because his agent won't quit running his, uh, you know, what holster about it, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh and, and he's bad. His agent's bad for the sport as well, bad for football, bad for kids. He has, you know, I, I was in recruiting for how many years? Anybody that says, anybody that says that without exception, every five star quarterback uh is uh worth, you know, eight figures does not either has a huge agenda or doesn't know their butt from a hole in the ground. Okay. Who else does this guy represent? That's not true. I, I some, some other California kids. Keep in mind, it's all coming from California, like this guy. Okay, um, and, he, and he shops his guys around because, you know, anybody that starts talking about market value of high school football players doesn't understand the sport at all, doesn't understand the sport, you know. I mean, I, and so, I, you know, this is a very unfortunate situation. So, if I'm Napier, you know, I, I, I think I'm really kind of taking a look and going, well, what are we doing here? Because – Two weeks ago, he was talking about how this kid was a, you know, a film room junkie and how he loved the game and just this hard worker. And, you know, he he and I are bonded and, and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like I said today, you know, uh, my fiance had a friend uh, who was married to a, a PE coach and nice looking woman. Right. Next thing you know, PE coach is dumped and a guy that's worth, you know, about a billion and a half dollars that looks like the penguin from the first Batman movie and is a horrible person, uh, you know, all of a sudden she's with him, you know? So how dumb do you feel? You you think that guy that's the PE coach who went on to marry a good-looking woman, you know, somebody's way more down to earth, uh, do you think that PE coach is sitting there, had had he left her the first time Uh, or had she left him the first time and then come back? Do you think she, he's gonna sit there talking about like what a uh, a, a, a beautiful uh devoted spouse and, and paragon of of virtue and uh and no so so to me that struck me as, as Billy Navier either just lying and wishful thing or wishful thinking I don't want to say lying or being extremely naive about all this um and uh because those comments came and the next day this guy doesn't even enroll because he was promised, you know, $11 million and and hightails it back to wherever. So, I mean, you know, I, and and look, this kid is a very good prospect. Like he could be a Heisman trophy winner, right? He could, Mm -hmm. but that's the key word Mike could he, and he's not there yet. And I just think that, you know, some of this stuff with these agents and stuff like that, and these coaches being getting a little greedy, with it uh, i think some of this stuff is just just terrible uh and people say for the sport i, I don't know it's going to give us more stetson minutes and max duggins and you're gonna be wondering you know and it's going to hurt the recruiting rankings industry because people will be like well everybody paid all this money for these guys and they weren't worth it no this sport you have to develop there are very few people that can step in at any position and play right away much less quarterback. So, uh, and you have Some. to develop and work. You have to work to it too. It's not just a matter of sitting on the bench and getting older and making it
0: right. right? The, these these seem like the, the kind of guys you're talking about, um, which are basically just pimping out high school top notch prospects uh, for for cash. Mm -hmm. it's it's out in the open but it's almost like a a modern day version of for years and years what people have complained about with aau basketball coaches Mm -hmm. Uh, behind the scenes before it was wink wink legal aau coaches that had their uh, their their claws into a top-notch prospect were talking to college basketball coaches like well if if you want him to go to your school you better pay me this and then i'm going to make sure he gets that and it it almost seems like there's some of that. It's the it's the ugly element, um, and and the thing about you mentioned the the Florida fan base. I think every every fan base out there has some scars, right? So like like you go back to when South Carolina had to make a hire uh, after firing Will Muschamp. Like Will Muschamp didn't recruit poorly, right? I mean he he actually uh, had some highly ranked. Re- recruiting classes but i think the feeling was he just wasn't a great x's and o's coach and and you know couldn't take the program to the next level so when they made the next hire it wasn't like this paranoia of it's, it's got to be a world-class recruiter they was like oh it's got to be a guy who can flat out coach and and that wasn't Will's strength he was more of a coordinator and so on and so enter and shane beamer uh and and it wasn't a universally accepted hire. Obviously it is now because Shane's done terrific work in two, two short years, but uh, at least you, you addressed for some people, the aspect of what was the Achilles heel before, like Shane was a fresh breath of air compared to Will Muschamp, who had just failed at two different spots as a head coach in the case of Florida. What was the knock on Dan Mullen? Well, nobody ever thought Dan Mullen couldn't draw up good plays. It was that he just, I don't want to say mailed it in, but people thought he just didn't care enough about recruiting to compete with the Kirby Smarts, the Nick Sabans, so on and so forth. And so that that scar has left a mark on that fan base where it says, you don't know much about Billy Napier, the recruiter. He came from Louisiana. The Raging Cajuns aren't reeling in a bunch of five-star kids, right? Uh, it, it is a, we can't have a repeat of Dan Mullen on the recruiting trail. So do whatever you have to do to get this guy and that guy. And it just so happens that that a guy in a team, a program in your state has the ultimate sugar daddy in this Ruiz guy. And it's like, even if you don't know much about Calzada, if you had to project him and everything else, like, well, they want him and we can't get outbid for him. We can't do that. (laughs) Like that seems to be, we're so, it's so you're right. It could be at the end of the day, three years from now, we might be talking about the inflated value of this kid. Based on what ba- you know, based on what well, we can't lose it to that program and we can't yeah. have a repeat of Dan Mullen, you know, not getting, uh, more guys that more top notch recruits, because that has been a weakness for Florida. All of a sudden you, and I don't know where the recruiting class is ranked this year. Um, in fact, I want to, I want to end on that note, cause I know we're running short on time, but, uh, for a while there, it just didn't stack up with the elite of the elite. And, and if you're sitting there and you're uh, in in Camp Florida, you're like, well, why in the hell can't we compete in recruiting with the other programs? Facilities have now got finally gotten up to par. You're in a, a, a state rich in talent. And there is some recent tradition. I mean, it's not like 50 years ago they won a title. It was it was less than 20. And they <laughs> won two.
1: They played in the championship game, and the SEC six points for beating Bama in twenty twenty. Right, I mean,
0: right, right, yeah. Um, uh, so, so anyway, I, I I think that's where a lot of that uh, that comes from. I do want to mention one other note: Mississippi State set to hire Kevin Barbe as yeah, offensive. Barbe. Co- am I pronouncing that right? Barbe is yes, uh, offensive coordinator, and quarterbacks coach. Uh, he spent the the same role last year at App State.
1: Yeah, App State. Uh, obviously, they beat. um, they beat Texas AM. Uh, that was more their defense and, and all that. But uh, certainly a great run game, but also did a really good job of Chase Bryce at quarterback last year. I felt um so do you think he them. keeps
0: the do you think he keeps the, the air raid, or did, did they pivot no. here?
1: I think they're pivoting,
0: which I okay. uh,
1: uh, <laughs> uh that kind of <laughs> you know, because like okay, and Barb is a really good coordinator, right? But you went from kind of being built for the power spread under Mullen. And then you have the Joe Moorhead, who's a little bit different power. You know, he's more of a, it's kind of like what Penn state runs and a little bit of what Ohio state did in the past with Moorhead. And then you go straight air raid and you're recruiting for that for three years. And and that's a different kind of, but now you're going to kind of go back and you you got a guy that's going to have a lot of power outside zone uh zone uh is gonna zone you to death in the run game now mississippi state uh always has plus size dudes on both lines of scrimmage so they're they're not a school that struggles to recruit big fellas so it may not are running backs when they're not running air raid so it may be fine but yeah you know steve Springer jr who caught it for the bowl game he went to tulsa as the oc with kevin wilson who got that job uh, they work together, I think, at Oklahoma or they know each other uh pretty well. And then um he went out and got Barbe. there was talk. Mike Bobo and Will Friend uh may have been his OC. So it does look like Zach Harnett probably, you know, would like a because his defense has been good, would like a little more but more complimentary offense. And you know, I That's quite deep, frankly, I yeah. think Will Rogers. I'm curious to see how Will Rogers does because, you know, Will Rogers to me is the quintessential Mike Leach quarterback mm-hmm. in that system. So you're going you're gonna to throw him in doing something else. So, I mean, that's why I mentioned uh, doing a good job with Chase Bryce last year because uh, if Barbe, Barbe can get it out of him, uh, I would well, think.
0: The one thing I, I remember asking Zach Arnett one time, you know, the, the, the challenge of being a D.C. when you're on a team that runs the air raid. And he gave a very diplomatic answer. But that should have been the first sign that they're going to pivot, is that you've got a defensive-minded head coach now. And I don't know many defensive-minded head coaches that don't want to play, as you call it, complementary football. And mm-hmm. the air raid, as good as it can be, is not complementary football. So um, part of me is a little bit sad to see it because it was almost like the last um, – memory of Mike Leach and his time at Mississippi State would have been to, to keep running that offense. But, look, Zach Garnett's got a job to do, and Zach Garnett knows that uh, the fans are going to want to reach a, a different level. Mississippi State had some success, but they also had some disappointing losses. And at, at, at times, you just couldn't tell if that next level was coming. So I, I guess I shouldn't be too surprised that um, that there's going to be a, a bit of a pivot there. One other um, transfer note: uh, former number two, forty-two overall prospect Walker Howard, a freshman quarterback for LSU, he has entered the portal. It's a good article by Tom Benheron of ESPN.com. The winners and losers in the portal: the winners, Florida State. I mean, I just had them in the bowl game, and, and they. They clearly are on an upward trajectory right now. Mm-hmm. And then they they reeled in some big time uh, uh, transfers from, uh, you know, Central Cypress of, of Virginia, big time corner, Miami defensive tackle, Daryl Jackson, Brayden Fisk. I actually had him in one of my MAC games. He's a mm-hmm. Western Michigan defensive lineman. And you say, well, who the hell's that? I remember I was doing that game with Cole Kublick and Quint Kesnick. And they were talking during a commercial break, like, see that Fisk guy? Yeah, he ain't going to be in Western Michigan much longer, and, and he had Power Five ability written all over him. So now he's going to be in Tallahassee, uh, Michigan. Oklahoma had to have a big year in the portal. Apparently, they have Colorado with Dion, of course. LSU, the losers, the Aggies, the uh, Texas A&M has had twenty-eight players enter the portal since the end of November. Twenty-eight, and includes quarterback Haynes King. Uh, running back L.J. Johnson, Chris Marshall, Denver. I mean, just a remarkable amount of guys. Uh, Florida has lost 26 players to the portal. Now, some people might say, "Well, oh, good," because we didn't do a hell of a lot. If you're a And M in Florida with these guys, maybe it's addition by subtraction. It all depends on how you look at it. And even Arkansas made the list of losers in the portal as they lost some uh, some key players as well. 29. Razorbacks entered the portal since December the second, and as I mentioned, I everybody loves Sam Pittman, including me. I think it's a great story. It's hard not to root for the guy. He is he is Joe Sixpack if there ever was one coaching in the SEC. But when does that when does that magic rub off a little bit? Because Arkansas definitely um, hit a tough tough patch here this yeah. year.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to get interesting up there. Barry Odom, their D coordinator, of course, is now the head coach at LSU. Uh, I'm sorry, UNLV, which Petrino was there for a cup of coffee. Um, yeah, and, and I, that was that was that, that kind of shows you nowadays, Mike. Things can kind of fall apart pretty quick because Arkansas. You know, one week we're sitting there talking about them challenging Alabama. Next thing you know, they they just didn't play well at a loss to A and M. Uh, the next thing you know, Jefferson's hurt. Uh, the next thing you know, I mean, their fans are getting disgruntled, and uh, lost to Missouri at the end of the season, and that 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 hadn't happened in a while. And the pit boss, you know, goes from hero to goat pretty quick. I mean, he was, you know, that they were they were really happy with winning three in, in the All SEC pandemic year. I mean, that's a, that was a heck of a, a season, really. They could have won five. Uh, they lost two games on the last in the last second. Um, come back the next year, nine and four. They beat Penn State in the Outback Bowl, and everybody's fired up. And they did. They they had some portal attrition that year too, but they kind of made up for it. Guys like Drew Sanders coming in, uh, and then this year started pretty well. I, uh, I still can't believe they had. To, they played Cincinnati, BYU on the road, Liberty. And Missouri State, coached by Bobby Petrino in the non-conference this year, and they play in, oh, I don't know, the SEC West. <laughs> Who scheduled that? <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that uh, that kind of happens. That was kind of a surprise, too. It's kind of funny you mentioned Florida, too, Mike, because I, I want to point this out. Um, so Dan Mullen had three recruiting classes at UF. They ranked ninth, seventh, and twelfth. Uh, now, mm-hmm. Napier did have a transition class last year, and they were 17th, and that was good. Uh, this year so far, 13th. So, now, maybe maybe Napier's evaluating a little well. I don't know, though, because I don't know very many coaches that evaluate as well as Dan Mullen, because look at what he did at Mississippi State. Um, he's evaluating a little bit better. Maybe he's taking guys at right positions, better fits, but numerically – they're kind of about the same as they've always been. <laughs> with, you know, with, with, one 100, say on that. With, with 100 staff members and $12 million <laughs> yeah. a year at NIL.
0: With an army of analysts, um, it's point well taken. I will say this, and you live that world, and I still think you're as knowledgeable as anybody on the big picture of recruiting. I know, you know, you don't have to make a thousand phone calls and go to a bunch of showcases like you used to. But I, I think you you get it from a macro view as, as well as anybody in the business. The difference between ranking whatever 13 or 7, all you have to do is watch Florida line up with Georgia, and you just see it ain't the same ball game. So like I don't know what the difference is between the number one or two recruiting class versus the number nine or fourteen or twelve. I just know this. When you watch Georgia and their athletes and Florida and Jacksonville, it's it's not it's not that close. And so the recruiting rankings, they're nice. Um being in the top fifteen, that's that's all good and dandy. But I, I if you're truly in the business of winning SEC championships again, then you have to clearly do a much better job than has been done in Gainesville. I mean you you watch them play 1 through 22 and you watch a, a, a Georgia heck I would say this year's Alabama team uh you watch an Ohio State like it's just not the same so I I I think that's where a lot of that I don't want to again use the word paranoia but definitely concern is out there
1: Yeah you know, Florida has always has athletes they always have speed they always have You know, enough good players, Uh, I think, even in the lean years. I mean, Will Muschamp left uh, McIlwain back-to-back division title uh, winners. I I, I think the constant turnover with coaches always hurts you because guys leave. They're recruited by somebody else. It's it's not the same, that kind of thing. Uh, and, And I think, too, it's a different world now because back when I started covering recruiting, Every great player from Florida, uh, unless it was just like a like Notre Dame came and got a big offensive lineman uh away from the Gators down there out of St. Thomas Aquinas when he was Sam Young, who by the way, last to check still in the NFL it was weird. And everybody about flipped. It was like Charlie Weiss is a wonderful recruiter. Lou Holtz is on ESP. Charlie Weiss is an outstanding recruiter. He got the number of player from Florida. I can't believe he's going to Notre Dame. You know, I mean it was it was unprecedented news. Nowadays, Florida's n- not only wide open from the high school ranks, they got IMG Academy down there. Mm-hmm. This guy's rarely said anybody to the in-state schools. It's, 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 it's crazy, Mike, because it, right. it was so hard for decades for two decades to get anybody away uh, from Miami or Florida state. And then Steve Spurrier would just be like, well, shoot him. I'm a good enough coach. I'll, I'll take the next third of the top thirty-three percent in Florida and win the SEC every year. That's how good the talent is down there. Nowadays, it's it's just—I mean, look at all the receivers Alabama's gotten out of that state. I mean, everybody—Amari you know, Cooper, Jerry Judy. Those are all South Florida kids that would normally go right. elsewhere. So it's a little harder now. I mean, it, it it is still in a talent-rich part of the country, but those schools have been up and down, inconsistent, revolving doors. And in Miami's case, just downright disappointing, especially this year for, for so long. Uh they have some catching up to do in their backyard. And yeah. so um and well, I no think no continuity that's the case with too. any of
0: those three programs. Yeah. Right, Miami, exactly. Florida, Florida State have all been f- hiring and firing coaches going through uh just like a, a, a reboot. And yeah. And have all, I mean, Florida was the closest thing to consistently good, not great. Now, yeah. Florida State appears to be figuring things out uh, with Coach Norvell, who a lot of Seminole fans wanted to just rush out of there. And then, of course, there was the Dion movement. And um, now that that's not in play, then they feel like they're on solid ground there. Miami, who would not think that that was a great hire? to 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 get that in place and have an alum and have a guy who had success at multiple mm-hmm. stops in Oregon like that, that just seemed like a grand slam and maybe it will be but last year was a disaster and then uh I don't think anybody in Florida is celebrating six and seven in year one under Billy Napier uh and like I said I mean you you watch that for example the Georgia game how many starters in that game would you have wanted the Florida guy over the Georgia guy. And that's more than anything in recruiting rankings like that's like Anthony Richardson is going to be a high draft pick, certainly higher than Stetson Bennett. But it, Stetson Bennett was a much better college player. And then you look at just the athletes on defense, not even close where Georgia is and where Florida is. And that's probably what a lot of fans of at, at, at other SEC te- programs are saying, too. Like, how in the hell are we ever going to stack up with Georgia and Alabama? I don't what? know. You know
1: you gotta you gotta you gotta keep the guys from your state I mean college football is still about that you know you gotta keep the guys from your state from the high school ranks in your state from going going to Georgia and Alabama Mike yeah. you know it, it it's uh not counting IMG I just I just counted this up only four of the top 15 players in the state of Florida for my actual State of Florida high schools. I'm talking, you know, Lee Acres, American Heritage in Lottie uh, Stranahan in Lottie Edgewater in Orlando, uh, Venice. Uh, you know, of those, you know, okay, of those guys, only four of the top fifteen stayed at home, and, and one was a kid that uh, from Lakeland, where Florida normally gets guys. Uh, and he went to Miami. I think he chased the money. I think it's pretty easy to say. Uh, there, Georgia got a slew. I mean, a slew of guys out of Florida. So did Alabama. You've got to go all the way down to number twenty-one uh, overall in the state. Good solid player, number ninety-four in the country. Uh, Aiden Mazzell from Orlando, Boone uh, to see the first Gator. And it used to not be that way. you look at the top 20. Like I said, occasionally Notre Dame would come in or somebody would get, escape and get to Ohio State or whatever. But, man, nowadays you, you got Oklahoma, LSU, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Texas came in there and got a player. Um, it's just not the same. And I, and I, th- I think that's the key um, is that the players they used to have coming every year. And, and, Mike, when you miss on five of these guys in a cycle, that adds up because that's like five 10, That's twenty guys. Yeah, you know, where are these? I mean, we used to talk about how loaded Florida, Florida State, Miami are. Well, there's twenty guys that are at Georgia and Ohio State and elsewhere. So um, that's just something for Gator fans to keep in mind. And I, I, I'm sure I'll get some hate mail from them this week because they. And I know we got a couple in particular that are diehard fans of this podcast. And I'm not coming down on your program. I'm just, I'm just trying to kind of. You know, you guys were—you're right that the problem did lie in recruiting, but but I don't know that it was necessarily like, oh, Dan Mullen sucks at recruiting. You know, I I, I think hmm. I think Dan Mullen actually gave you an advantage because he can evaluate well, and maybe Napier does too. But there is there are some systemic issues uh, with all three major Florida programs uh, right now that that are different. Uh, but that are holding them back and and I wouldn't have thought two years ago Florida State would have been the first one in line to get
0: back and <laughs> yeah, all of a sudden they know. are
1: they had right. they had to they had to climb out of the Willie Taggart uh death trap there you know <laughs> that's uh, so who by the way got fired again this year from Florida Atlantic so yeah um yeah. so anyway that, that that's my take on that
0: uh, and a and a good spot to to end on it again. Like I said at the top, it's amazing. Uh, even in the so-called off season, we still struggle to get in everything we want to get in in one uh, yeah. podcast. So the good news is we'll have more time to do it next week. Um, and we'll get to that, and uh, we'll have a uh, Haney back, the hot Haney five, and a lot of things that continue to be fluid in college football. Will attack. Uh, a week from today. JC, always uh, enjoyed it. If you want to tell the fine folks out there, if they haven't already, how to get it, how to review it, how to do all these things in the podcast space that we're so proud to occupy. And thanks as always to the thousands every week that bother to download us and listen.
1: Absolutely. You can get us uh download us on any kind of, because I know if, if you're like Mike Morgan, you're still you're a droid user.
0: I'm a droid you, guy.
1: You don't get it on Apple Pods, but if you get it on Pod Bean, Google Play, be sure to rate us five stars. Leave a little review that helps us in the rankings, helps more people uh join the thousands that already listen. We have some fun stuff coming up. Uh, and so you'll want to follow us on Twitter. it's kind of different multimedia type stuff. So you want to follow us on Twitter at JC and Morgan. Um, and then on Instagram, also at JC and Morgan pod, I believe is that one. So, um, yeah, so so this podcast, we're going to we're going to have some, some more diverse offerings uh, for you guys to consume our content. Um, and we'll get into that in the coming weeks, I'm sure. But we're excited about that.
0: I like it. I like it. like everything about it. Uh, always a pleasure. Uh, again, thanks, for everybody, for tuning in. And we'll be back with you next week. For J.C., it's Mike saying so long for now on J.C. and Morgan. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.